one in six. During this series of messages, one-word messages, I'm inviting you to really pick one of the six and say, I'm going to dive deep on one of these six virtues. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the Spirit of God to search my heart. I'm going to open up God's Word and study what it has to say about whatever that particular virtue is. I'm going to seek to listen to Jesus in a very personalized way about what he might have to say to me about this. I'm going to perhaps sit down with a trusted friend and say, this virtue God has laid on my heart, and I want to see it grow in a way that magnifies Christ in my life. Would you talk to me about this? Would you ask me questions? Because I trust you, you're my friend, and I know you'll speak the truth to me. I want to go deep with this virtue and be all that Jesus wants it to be in my life. And the reason for this is in our world, I believe people desperately need to see these virtues lived out in a way that is Christ-honoring, in a way that leaves them a little bit confused about how this can be real in someone's life. Thus the series, Words to Live By, six one-word sermons that we're doing right now. We began this series two weeks ago in Psalm 92, where it talks about us flourishing, or the ideas of thriving. And it says, those who are planted, in verse 14 of that text, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish that they'll begin to grow in this mindset of, I'm not going to just attend church to check off an attendance box. I'm going to start being the church. So I'm going to stop going to church, and I'm going to start being the church, and then God will cause me to flourish and to thrive. Last week, we looked at the idea of honor. Next week, we're going to look at integrity. And then on Thanksgiving weekend, in a very, I believe, entitled society, we're going to talk about gratitude, and finally we'll wrap up with serving. But today, we're looking at the idea of loyalty. Do people know where your loyalties lie? Do people know where your loyalties lie in life? You know, generally, people like to think of themselves, and we like to think of ourselves as very loyal people. And yet, interestingly, in the book of Proverbs, it says this, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. And so even though many of us think we're loyal, perhaps there's not so many of us as we might imagine. Loyalty is one of life's most costly qualities. So we're going to look at a classic biblical story that illustrates this idea. So if you have your Bible, or you can open your device to the book of 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is found about a third of the way through the Older Testament. If you come to Joshua and Judges and Ruth, you need to go just a little further to the right. If you come to Kings or Chronicles, you've gone a little too far. 
1 Samuel, and we're going to just kind of graze our way through a story that's contained in chapter 18, 19, and 20. And I'll be reading from those passages in just a moment. 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 20. But before I do that, I need to set the scene for you of this really cool biblical story. King Saul is the first king of the nation of Israel. And he begins, if you read his story, he begins as a very humble leader, as a very humble king who actually, at least outwardly, has a rich relationship with God. He's told that if he continues in this path, he's told by God that he will have a kingdom that is without end. Your, your prodigy uh, will, will reign one after another generationally, son after son will reign in the land. But over time, as he becomes more accustomed to the role, he begins to get proud and he begins to become impatient especially with God and God's timetable. And he begins to step in more subtle ways at first and then more directly later. He begins to step out of his calling. And eventually he begins to incrementally, openly defy God's leading. At one point in his story, there's sort of a half-hearted repentance where he doesn't repent directly to God for his choices, but rather to one of God's prophets. And so I would sort of view this as more of a repentance on my own terms. And we do that sometimes, don't we? We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to thoroughly own what we've done. And so we try to repent on our own terms. And sadly, this stubborn defiance continues in King Saul's life. You know, Scripture says that rebellion is like the sin of of witchcraft, when we rebel like that. And eventually, God says, that's it. This will cost you your kingdom. And your reign, when your life ends, your family name will not carry on as kings. And so God chooses at that point a replacement for when King Saul's reign ends. And the replacement he picks is a young man, the scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. And the prophet Samuel anoints him and tells him, you are going to be the next king. Well, King Saul is deeply jealous of this. And he sees this young man that God has put next on the throne as a rival. Even though David, who has been anointed as the next king, doesn't see it this way doesn't do anything about it. But it becomes very clear very quickly that Saul wants David dead. And even though David knows about this, even though he knows King Saul is gunning for him, he does nothing to push this issue. He does nothing to try and abbreviate God's timeline and God's plan. He doesn't, in even the smallest way, rebel against King Saul. Instead, he just continues to faithfully serve in the place that God has put him. While all this is going on, a friendship begins to emerge between David and one of King Saul's sons, a guy by the name of Jonathan. And it's with all of this in mind 
that we read from 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I'm just going to read verses 1 to 4 at this place, point. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant. So they make this this deal, this unbreakable deal with one another. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. It says that Jonathan loved David, that in some translations it says he expressed a loving kindness to him. This is the Hebrew word hased. This word is used 250 times in the Older Testament. And what it means is it means more than natural affection. It reflects a very deep, close friendship. Sometimes it's used of God in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Hosea. And when God is pictured with the Hebrew word hased, it's talking in the context about his absolutely faithful love to his people who are totally unfaithful to him. And so God is a God of loving kindness towards and loyalty towards his unfaithful people. Jonathan is placed right in the middle between his loyalty to his father and his loyalty to his best friend. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate that in life when you're put into that kind of situation? As we continue reading the story and the context of this story, we see that there are numerous times that King Saul, because of his jealousy, tries to manipulate David. And he sends him out in chapter 18 in a number of very dangerous military missions. Some of them would really be viewed as suicidal in nature. The the, the odds were stacked against him so much. Probably, I'm guessing, secretly hoping that David will fall in battle when he's fighting against such seemingly hopeless odds. But of course, God is with David and he prevails. At times when this doesn't work, Saul becomes extremely angry and he openly tries to kill David or he conspires to kill David or he threatens to kill David. Even though these things are all going on, even though David is totally aware of these things, he does nothing to warrant these things. He does nothing to push back and try and kill King Saul instead. Now, for some reason, Jonathan is not totally aware initially of his dad's actions towards his best friend, David. And so finally, Saul has had enough. And beginning in chapter 19, verses 1 to 7, he decides to be very open for the first time with Jonathan about what his plan is. And he says this, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But David was, Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. 
My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, and you were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David for killing him, like killing him for no good reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. See, this was back. Now, an oath is a big deal today. It's a huge deal back then. Saul takes and listens to Jonathan and took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. What do you do when you're stuck between the loyalty you have to your dad and the loyalty you have to your best friend? Well, Jonathan honors his dad. He hears uh, his dad make this pronouncement publicly in front of him and all the attendants. I want you to kill David. And, and Jonathan's thinking, this is my best friend. But he doesn't get in his dad's face in public. He takes his dad aside privately out into a field and confronts him about this and has a talk with him about it. Because Jonathan is, and we're going to continue to discover, is a person of loyalty and incredible courage. And so he confronts his dad. He doesn't run away, as we so commonly do in the church, and avoid conflict. He says, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to go to the person that's directly involved, face-to-face, and we're going to talk. And he says, Dad, why do you want to kill this guy? He's totally innocent. He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing to warrant this. You should chill. You don't need to be jealous of him. He's on your side, and he's on the nation's side. Remember when he killed the Philistine. Remember when he won the great victory against the Philistines. And over and over again, he's won victories for us in battle. And you even said at the time, this guy's doing a great job. Why do you want to kill him? And so Saul backs down, and he takes an oath which is a further illustration of how he is totally off the rails in his relationship with God. Gives his word that he will not kill David. As you continue reading in the chapter, a little while goes by, and even though David has had all these victories against the Philistines, another war breaks out in verse 11. And Saul is jealous of David again. And at this point, he hurls his spear at him across the room and tries to pin him to the wall with his spear. It doesn't work. I guess he wasn't a very good shot. 
And then on several occasions throughout the chapter, he sends armed men to find David and to kill him. And remember, Dad has promised Jonathan, I won't kill him, but he's still trying to kill him over and over again. And here is Jonathan. Jonathan is a a loyal guy. And his dad knows this. So he keeps Jonathan out of the loop. Doesn't tell Jonathan his secret plans. And Jonathan, being loyal like he is, assumes the best about his dad. You don't assume your dad's going to lie to you. You assume your dad's going to tell you the truth. You trust your dad. And so Jonathan is not thinking about this stuff at all, and he's being kept out of the informational loop. And finally, after several further attempts on his life, David pulls Jonathan aside for a private chat. And we read about this beginning in chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You know, he promised me he wasn't going to hurt you. And so he's not aware of what's going on. Never, Jonathan replied, you're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why should he hide this from me? It is not so. He tries to think the best of his dad. eh? But David took an oath. Once again, Jonathan is put squarely in the middle between his loyalty to his dad and his loyalty to his best friend. Because his dad took an oath, I won't kill him. And now David has taken an oath saying, I am going to tell you the real truth, the hard truth right now. But David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Have you ever had someone that you love lie to you? Someone that you've trusted all your life lie to you. Saul lied to his son. Jonathan is put in the place of continuing to sort out the competing loyalties he has to his dad and he has to his best friend. Do people know where your loyalties lie? Do people know? Well, David and Jonathan reaffirm their loyalty to each other in verse 4. And Jonathan, a man of incredible courage and integrity and loyalty, goes to his father and they have it out. And this is a knockdown, drag out fight. Verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? That's David, David's son of Jesse. Don't I know that you've sided with the son of Jesse to your own, sh- 
your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. He's cursing his son. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his dad. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got off from the table with fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Why should he die? What has he done? And Saul has no answer. Because David's done nothing to warrant this. And so he tries to kill his own son and throws a spear at him. Misses again. I find deeply interesting that even though his dad tried to kill him, even though he was embarrassed by his dad, even though he was fiercely angry with his dad for his shameful behavior, Jonathan does not wash his hands of his father. Jonathan does not say, you're no longer my dad. In fact, he stays loyal to him. And if you continue to read the story to chapter 1, 31 rather, you're going to discover that Jonathan died by his dad's side in battle against the Philistines. How did he do that? How did he do all that? Well, I believe for Jonathan, it all came down to a decision. And this is a decision every one of us has to make. And I would argue that these are not the kind of decisions you make in the heat of those kind of moments. The decision has to be made before that, before your emotions get involved. And the decision is this. I will make God my place of ultimate loyalty, bar none. God himself will be my ultimate loyalty. And you know what? You can read this book from stem to stern, and what you're going to find in throughout the book is this is exactly what God demands. He accepts nothing less. Nothing less. And so Jonathan says, my ultimate loyalty will be with the God of the universe. My source of truth in life will be God and his word. And it's only because of this that Jonathan is able to navigate the most complicated of situations where there's federal politics swirling all around this situation. Do you ever pray for our politicians? that they would know where their loyalties lie, even though it may cost them everything, because this is what this guy is faced with. Politics swirling all around. The love he has for his dad, the loyalty he has to his dad, the loyalty and love, the hesed he has to his best friend. And the stakes are literally Life and death, nothing short of that. Do people know where your loyalties lie? Do you know? Do you know? 
Well, what does that mean? It means that, as I said, Jonathan lived by the creed. God will be where my ultimate loyalties lie, period. And when his dad, who he loved and was loyal to, tried to drag him into sin, Jonathan would not do it, no matter what it cost him. Remember I said earlier in this talk, loyalty can be one of life's most costly qualities. Loyalty is a selfless part of love. And a loyal person not only stands by their commitments, they're prepared to suffer for those loyalties. On at least two occasions, we've read now, he confronts his dad about this shameful behavior. Both times, understand this clearly, both times going into those situations, he knew in his heart, I might not survive. See, that's back in the day where if the king goes off with your head, it was off with your head. Now, in that culture, they wouldn't have chopped his head off. They would have run him through with javelins and let him writhe on the ground until he bled out. And he walks this incredibly fine line between, you know, his loyalty to his dad and when is it time to disobey your own father. You know, Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6 that you should honor and obey your parents. But as this son has reached the age of accountability, he says, I will honor my dad. I'll be obedient to my dad. But I will not follow commands or advice from my dad that violates God's clear law. No matter what it costs. And I'm not talking about issues like, you know, what you're wearing or Silly things like that. I'm talking about clear violations of God's law. We see this reaffirmed in New Testament as well. And so he confronts his dad privately in an honorable way, knowing full well it may cost him his life. In fact, the second time, dad does try to kill him. He also knows that these activities will cost him the throne. He is the most likely heir apparent at this point. This is why King Saul says to him, your line is not going to carry on if we don't KO David's son of Jesse. If you remember, and he understands this, back in chapter 18, we read just a few minutes ago, in verse 4, he gave David his robe, it says, this is a symbolic gesture by Jonathan. The robe in that day, the robe he was wearing, was symbolic of the Israelite kingdom. And by giving him the robe, he's transferring his status to David as the heir apparent. He's tapped, Jonathan is, to be the next king. But he understands that God has another plan. And God's plan is paramount in his life no matter what it costs them. Do people know where your loyalties lie? Do you know? Later on, David and Jonathan are talking, and they're going, 
Your dad is not going to let this one go. He's determined. And this is not going to end well. And Jonathan says to his friend, look after my family. Look after my family. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're told that David seeks out and finds Jonathan's special needs son, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth has been shunted off to the side. David did not see him as a rival to be eliminated like was common practice in that day. He cared for Mephibosheth and he restored the property that had been taken to Mephibosheth. You see, true loyalty is proven, not just proclaimed. What, is, what does loyalty look in our, like in our friendships? You know, it says in Proverbs 17, it says, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born in time of need. Let's just take a practical example. You know, you go to your small group, and I hope you're engaging in your small groups, whether they're in person or by Zoom. You go to your small group, you're in somebody's home, there's this huge temptation to kind of stab your friends in the back and gossip about them. I can't believe how they spend their money in that house. Did you notice those interactions in them? And I wonder how their marriage is. Or do you stand by and listen when other people gossip about them and don't have the courage to step up and correct them or stop what's going on? What does loyalty look like in your friendships? You know, a real friend who is loyal loves that friend enough to tell them the truth. I was talking with someone very recently. They told me part of their story. They're happily married right now, strong marriage. But before they were married, before they even knew their future spouse, when they were a young adult, they were dating someone else. And it was beginning to get serious, this relationship. And there was a distinct possibility at the future some point that marriage would be on the horizon. Ask family members and friends what they thought of this individual. Family members, especially an aunt and uncle and friends all said, Oh, we're so happy for you. Full steam ahead. Glad that you're dating this guy. Full steam ahead. Later, God showed some things to this young woman, and she ended the dating relationship with this guy, and he did not react well at all. And after the fact, her aunt and her uncle and some of her friends came and said to her, oh, we're so glad you broke that relationship off with him. We had serious concerns. Is that the loyal and loving thing to do? To someone you say you love? To say you're glad that they're dating this person, but secretly you've got grave concerns about that relationship? Is that the loving thing to do? The loyal thing to do? I would suggest to you that a real friend has the courage to sit down, like Jonathan did with his dad, in private, in an honorable way, and say, I have to be honest with you. 
I'm a little, I love you and I'm a little concerned that you might be on a path that could lead to destruction. And you do it in the most loving way you can. You do it knowing you may hurt their feelings, but you do it knowing they are owed the truth and not a lie. It says in Proverbs, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Do people know where your loyalties lie? Do you know? Think with me for a moment about loyalty from from God's perspective. He creates us to show his love to us. He longs to have this intimate, growing, ongoing relationship with us. He's so loyal to us that Scripture says, well, we were yet sinners. This is when we were openly disloyal to him. That when we were openly disloyal to him, that's when he sent his only son to die for us and for our sins. And when we were, and if we still are, faithless and ungrateful and disloyal, he remains said. he remains faithful and loyal to us. And all he asks for everywhere in this book is absolutely everything in return. He will never settle for anything less than everything. So don't get confused about what God is asking for. He wants all of you and everything about you. Guy approaches Jesus one time, they have this dialogue about what's, you know, what's most important in terms of relationship with God. What's the bottom line stuff? They have a dialogue and here's the wording, the conclusion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is a summarization of the first four of the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This truth, Jesus says there, will flavor everything in your life. Everything. And so for some of us, to be quite honest, we need to go home after this service, or maybe we need to turn to the person we're watching this service with online, and we need to repent of our sin. And say, it grieves me deeply that I have been disloyal to you. I've belittled you, or whatever it is we've done. I've been unfaithful in your eyes. You see me as unfaithful in some way to you, whatever that looks like. Or I've been unfaithful in my actions towards you in some way. Whatever the case is, I want you to know I'm truly sorry. I want you to know I have no excuses. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me, and with the power of Christ, I will be loyal. Or with your friends, sit down with your friend and say, I haven't been a good friend. I haven't been there for you like I should. I haven't prayed for you. I've been too selfish and consumed with my own life. I didn't have the courage to be the one to tell you the truth about that situation or that relationship. Forgive me for that. And in the power of the fullness of the Spirit, I'm going to be a friend that sticks close. Or in the church, there's so many 
You know, there's so many loyal and faithful people in the church, but maybe for you, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you've just been going to church to just check some imaginary attendance box. And you realized, whoa, I'm way off the rails here on this. I need to be planted in the house of the Lord. I need to stop going to church and start being the church. I end with this. Do people know where your loyalties lie? Do you know? We're looking at six one-word sermons, words to live by. I invite you to pick one of the six. Today's word is the word loyalty. Loyalty.